is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America. With your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. Happy to be with you. And today we bring you presidential candidate Larry Elder. Look, I love Larry Elder. I've listened to Larry Elder on the radio. He's an accomplished broadcaster, nationally syndicated columnist with the L.A. Times. I mean, I'm telling you, Larry Elder knows what's going on. But he wants to bring those issues to the forefront, and that's why he's in the Republican primary for President of the United States. You might know him as Elderski. I like to call him El Dorado. Larry Elder, welcome to the program. <laughs> Rich, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. Now, folks, Larry Elder is running for President in the United States uh, in the 2024 election. He's also the author of the book, As Goes California, My Mission to Rescue the Golden State and Save the Nation. Larry Elder, uh, for those who may not know you, and if you guys don't know El Dorado, shame on you. But if you don't, Larry Elder, tell everybody, how did you become a black conservative lawyer, radio host, coming out of South Central? Well, I think my conservatism came from my dad. My dad, uh, Rich, was a lifelong Republican, uh, born and raised in Athens, Georgia. He was thrown out of the house by his mom at the age of 13 a black boy, Jim Crow South at the beginning of the Great Depression. My dad, uh, when I was growing up, had two full-time jobs cleaning toilets, uh, ultimately went to night school to get his GED, and then night school after that to learn how to operate a small restaurant, which he started when he was in his late 40s. He ran that until his mid-80s, and by the time my dad retired, he owned the restaurant, the little property next door, and the home that is still in our family. Uh, and this lifelong Republican always told my brothers and me this. Democrats want to give you something for nothing. When you try and get something for nothing, you almost always end up getting nothing for something. And he always said this, hard work wins. You get out of life what you put into it. Larry, you cannot control the outcome, but you are 100% in control of the effort. And before you complain about what somebody did or said, do you go to the nearest mirror, look at it, and ask yourself, what could I have done to change the outcome? And finally, he said this, no matter how hard you work, how good you are, sooner or later, bad things are going to happen. How you respond to those bad things, you tell your mom and me if we raised a man. He would not tolerate any kind of excuses. And I uh, was raised in South Central L.A., and then I went to college in New England and then law school in the Midwest, worked for a big law firm, started a small company, went into television and radio in the mid-'80s, uh, and as you pointed out, uh, nationally syndicated for a number of years before I gave up everything, my column, my radio show, my TV show, to run for governor first of California, then to run for president. I was in about 300 markets, about a million and a half people heard me every day uh, for years. I did all that because I really do feel that the country's in trouble. Uh, I'm not flush. I'm not like Levesque or like Trump. I still got bills to pay. But I gave it all up uh, because I really feel that we're not talking enough about what I call the number one domestic problem in America, and that is the proliferation of kids in America who are raised without a father in the home. Seventy percent of black kids now enter the world without a father in the home married to the mother. Fifty percent of Hispanic kids do. Twenty-five percent of white kids do, which is the same percentage as was the case with blacks back in 1965. In 65 is when Lyndon Johnson launched that so-called war on poverty. And Rich, since then, we've incentivized women to marry the government and incentivized mm -hmm. men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And we don't talk enough about it on our side. The other reason I'm running is because we have a disaster known as K-12 through education in urban America, where just to pick one city, Baltimore, 
13 public high schools, I kid you not, 0% of the kids can do math at grade level. Yet the Democrats oppose school choice, even as the party elites, whether it's Barack Obama or Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom, send their own kids to private schools. I think it's outrageous. And finally, I'm talking about the lie that America remains systemic. We know, we know at one time it was, but this lie is not only causing things like reparations and diversity, equity, inclusion, and uh, debates over race-based preferences. It's getting people killed. It's called the Ferguson effect or the George Floyd effect. And that is a phenomenon of cops pulling back from their normal proactive policing so that in cities all around America in the last several years, there are thousands of people who are dead or have been victimized by violent crime who would not have suffered if the police had done their normal proactive policing. So if I can put those issues front and center, then I will feel whether I'm the nominee or not, I've done my job for my party, and more importantly, I've done my job for my country. And that's why I'm doing this. Wow. Only a radio guy could do that, right? <laughs> you laid out a lot. <laughs> nice you, job. You, you know the feeling. <laughs> you Man. know the feeling, bro. <laughs> it's like talking down the last 10 seconds when you hear the, the, the back time bit. Uh, you said a lot. You talked about fathers in the home. I think this is an incredibly important issue. You talked about education, an incredibly important issue. And you talked about policing. And, and what I found interesting about what you said was that people would not have gone through the problems. And again, the people we're talking about, when we see people getting robbed and these videos that are all over Instagram and everywhere else, they're not always robbing white people, right? So oftentimes they're robbing people who look like me or like you. And so well, you've well, got minorities right. that are suffering at the hand of crime that's out of control because police were pushed or hamstrung uh, by this defund the police movement, saying that policing was racist in and of itself. And because of racist policing, we now have less arrests, but we have more crime. And I think this is a big problem. And I, if you don't mind, let's start there since we're on it. How are you, you're putting that issue front and center, but what's the proposal? How do you see a, a solution to this? Well, the first thing is to stop demeaning the police. Uh, they're, they're demoralized in ways that uh, have never been the case. I know a lot of cops. Uh, their manpower shortages, cops are resigning or they're transferring to other departments. Uh, and virtually every big city department is down hundreds of officers, whether it's New York, whether it's Chicago, for, whether it's for L.A., for all those reasons. Plus, who wants to become a cop? If you accuse the police of being systemically racist, if you're white, you're going to be called a racist. If you're black, you're going to be called an Uncle Tom or a sellout. And so uh, as a result, the police are simply not there. The manpower is not there. Uh, and the polls are showing that the majority of black people living in the inner city want the police manpower to remain the same or to be increased. These are the ones who are disproportionately hurt by this lie that the Democrats have been pushing, uh, calling for the de for defund the police and falsely accusing the police of engaging in institutional racism. We know that there are racist cops, there are racist doctors, racist lawyers. But when something happens, we should deal with it on a case by case basis and not assume that the police in general are committing these kinds of uh, kinds of crime because they're not. You know, we had this four months worth of protests in the streets in uh, starting in May of 2020. Thirty five people mm -hmm. killed, 2000 police officers wounded, two billion dollars worth of damage. Why? Because of an assumption that what the officer did to George Floyd had to do with George Floyd's race. Now, remember, the lead prosecutor was a black man. And in his opening statement, he took pains to say the police in general were not on trial. The Minneapolis P PD was not on trial. This individual was on trial, and he never argued that what Derek Chauvin did had to do with George Floyd's race. 
and Derek Chauvin was never even charged with a hate crime. Yet four months worth of protests and all that damage because of a false assumption that what happened to George Floyd had to do with his race with it, with it, when there was zero evidence of it and the prosecution never asserted such a thing. Right. And, and that doesn't um, slight uh, the fact that all that what happened to George Floyd was was bad. Right. Obviously, it was bad. Uh, but I, well, I agree with yeah, you. They, they course, took an angle not. that it, was it, different, <laughs> that it was about race. The, the, when the it verdict. Wasn't. The verdict. Yeah, the verdict, the verdict was just, but, but there's no evidence that what happened to him was about race. And I assure you, the people in the streets were there because they assumed that what happened to George Floyd had to do with his race. Similarly, that uh, uh, retired Marine named Daniel Penny, who put the choke on uh, sure. Jordan Neely, there is zero evidence that whatever motivated Daniel Penny, however you feel about that, had to do with Jordan Neely's race. As if, if Jordan Neely were white, the, the, the Marine wouldn't have done what he did. Yet here we are making an assumption when there's no evidence of it. And it's making things worse. All right, folks, we're going to continue with Larry Elder straight ahead on his discussion on these issues that are at the forefront of American society. So don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. He's making podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're talking about fatherhood, education, community policing, and the censorship of free speech. Our guest, Larry Elder, candidate for president of the United States. Larry Elder. Well, well, that's right. Uh, before I forget, though, Rich, I want to mention that I'm trying to get on that debate stage next uh, this month in uh, in Milwaukee. The debate is on August 23rd. By August 21, I have to have 40,000 individual donations. The money does not it's not important. It's that I need 40,000 individuals to donate to my campaign. The donation, in fact, can be as little as one dollar. All you have to do is go to LarryElder.com and donate just one dollar to get me on that debate stage in Milwaukee. Now, regarding Folks, fathers, well, well, here before are, we get there, okay. let me just give him the website three more times. LarryElder.com. Okay. That's Larry the regular way. E-L-D-E-R.com. LarryElder.com. And you need 40,000 people. So I'm thinking we can help, right? Uh, just for the sake <laughs> of a good debate. You know, we need a very robust primary debate because that's what this country is built on. So, folks, if you want to help Larry Elder, feel free to go to LarryElder.com and give a donation. If you can't afford one because of Biden inflation, then give a dollar. But if you can give more, <laughs> feel free. Larry Elder, go right ahead. Uh, and, and, and Rich, even if people want a different candidate, at the very least, I'm going to put front and center the issues you and I have been talking about, the epidemic of fatherlessness, which I'll get into in just a second, the lie that America remains systemically racist, and the crucial need uh, for school choice in urban America. There are a couple more, too. We need an amendment to the Constitution to fix spending to a certain percentage of the GDP. Otherwise, uh, under both parties, whether Republican or Democrat, the government gets bigger and bigger and bigger because part of it is the so-called entitlements programs are on automatic pilot. Even Bill Clinton and Barack Obama referred to them as unsustainable. But nothing gets done because if you run promising you're going to reform, say, Social Security, the other side's going to accuse you of not caring about the sick, the poor, the elderly. So nothing mm -hmm. gets done. The only way to really restrain spending is to put a law on the books that requires Congress to do so. Uh, and then there are these soft-on-crime George Soros DAs all over the country mm -hmm. that are wreaking habit on our streets. And I'm suggesting legislation to set up commissions uh, of retired judges, retired DAs, so states can hear complaints from citizens and get rid of them. And then we need an executive order so that vice presidents uh, and presidents and their families don't continue to graft and make money off, the, off their uh, 
ties, whether it's Joe Biden, whether it's Neil Bush, whether it's Jared Kushner, whether it's anybody, that's what I'm going to do when I become president to sign an executive order to stop all this nonsense. But getting back to fatherlessness, mm-hmm. the stats are clear and rich. Even Barack Obama once quoted them. If you are raised without a dad, you're five times more likely to be poor and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. That's what's going on here. Uh, and these kids are angry. They're frustrated. Uh, they have no male uh, role model in their lives, whether it's a, a, a father or a grandfather or a member of the clergy or sometimes a coach or a teacher. They've got nothing, and they're really, really angry, and that's what's causing so many of our problems downstream, whether it's crime, whether it's dropouts, uh, whether it's the inability to get the kind of skills it takes to uh, get a job in our digital age. It all stemmed from the family, and it's totally broken down, as I pointed out. Uh, Barack Obama was not raised with a dad. He wrote a book about it called Dreams of My Father about his mm-hmm. angst. Uh, Jesse Jackson's mom was a single, uh, was a single teenage mother who got pregnant, impregnated by the married man who lived next door. And Jesse Jackson was teased because in those days uh, in the South, South Carolina, where he was raised, it was rare to be raised without a father. Uh, Al Sharpton was, had a nice middle-class life until his father abandoned the family, and then down to the hood he went. Louis Farrakhan's uh, uh, mother was estranged from her husband, had a boyfriend, briefly took back up with the husband, got pregnant with Lewis, and tried to abort him with a coat hanger. Now, I mention this because these are four prominent so-called black leaders in America, Rich, all of whom either had no relationship with their fathers or a poor one, yet they rarely talk about it. They talk about racism, 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 when racism is no longer a major issue in America. It'll never be completely gone. There are always morons in this country. But the idea that some race is going to stop you from finishing high school, learning the skills it takes to start a business or to go into a company uh, or to grow is nonsense, as is demonstrated by my dad, who did so under much more horrific circumstances. Yeah, well, that's the truth. Uh, I'm sitting here. I, I'm a, an American of Puerto Rican descent talking to a black man from South Central who's running for president. So I think we've made uh, huge strides right, when it comes to uh, racism in America. And, of course, it's not gone by any means, and, and, and we hope that it will be. But right. it's kind of hard to eradicate You make an interesting point I want to also expand on. Uh, in mm-hmm. 1966, Martin Luther King gave an interview to British television. This is two years after the Civil Rights Act of 64 had been passed. And he said, you know, the changes in America, the progress in the last couple of years has surprised me why in about 40 years, MLK said, we could have a black president. Almost on cue, Barack Obama 2008. Do the math. And he didn't say in 40 years' time we'll have a, a black CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and there have been several. He didn't say we're going to have black governors and black senators, and there have been several. Uh, he didn't say that there's going to be a black president of Harvard, and right now the, the president of Harvard is a black female. He didn't say that Congress is going to be roughly the same percentage of, of members. Uh, he didn't say they're going to be black billionaires on the Forbes 400 list. He said black president, meaning once America has elected a black president, my dream has been realized to the fullest extent that it is practical, which is that people are now evaluating you based on color, based on content of character rather than color of skin. And here we had a black president reelected, and many people in this country act like it never happened. America is the only majority white country that's ever elected a black person for president. We ought to be celebrating that instead of acting as if nothing has changed. Yeah, good point. Now, when we talk about um, the strides we've made of racism and, and fathers in the home, which you've pointed out very eloquently, how do you see the correlation or how does that pour into public education? Uh, well, uh, if you don't have a father in the home, you're far less likely to go to church, you're far less likely to be disciplined, you're far less likely to graduate from school. 
Uh, and again, all these problems are downstream. Uh, and regarding uh, school choice, we've got to have school choice in urban America. I mentioned that 13 public high schools in Baltimore, zero percent of the kids can do math at grade level. There are 53 government schools in Chicago, Rich, zero percent of the kids can do math at grade level. Nationwide, mm. there's something called the National Report Card. I'm not making this up. 85% of black eighth yeah. graders, these are 13-year-old kids, can neither read nor do math at grade level. Half can do basic reading, which means a substantial percentage of black kids in America are functionally illiterate. Yet the, the, the uh, Democratic Party is in bed with the teachers' union, which is one of their biggest funders, if not their biggest funder, and they adamantly oppose school choice. Even as teachers, if you look at the studies, who have school-age kids aren't putting their own kids in public schools. So the people that know the school is the best, the teachers, aren't putting their own kids in it. What does that tell you? All right, let me jump back in here and just let you know we're coming right back with Larry Elder talking about these important issues, his plans for the future, and a lot more. So don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. The 45th president, Donald Trump, thinks it's an honor to speak with Rich Valdez. Oh, very good. Yeah. Well, it's an honor. Thanks, Rich. The honor is all yours. Conservative talk with a dash of sofrito. Now, here's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Larry Elder, candidate for president of the United States in 2024. And we're talking about fatherhoods or fatherless homes, I should say, the importance of education, uh, the, the attack on police, and as well, the censorship of political speech that we're seeing by criminalizing speech, what we've seen lately in this uh, January 6th um, allegations and charges against former President Trump. But first, they have to demonstrate beyond a reasonable doubt that, number one, President Trump did not believe that all these irregularities were true. And number two, that he did something to correct, corruptly obstruct justice. And they can't prove that because everything he did was to get at the truth. Filing lawsuits, asking for recounts, asking Vice President Pence, pause the pause the counting so you can go back to the states and re-audit. That is John uh, Lauro. President Trump's uh, attorney on this case, and he didn't stop there. He had one more thing to say. Listen to this. The bottom line is that they have 60 federal agents working on this, 60 lawyers, all kinds of government uh, personnel, and, and we get this indictment and they want to go to trial in 90 days. Does that sound like justice to you? Does that sound like justice to you? Folks, our guest, Larry Elder, President Trump's opponent in the Republican primary, uh, an attorney, he's uh, an author, former radio host, and again, candidate for president in the United States in this upcoming 2024 election. Larry Elder, how do you respond to that? Just one little little alteration, Rich. I don't consider myself to be Trump's opponent. I consider myself to be Biden-Harris's opponent. Uh, I'm running to be president well, of the good. United States. I'm not running against anybody. I've not said anything negative about anybody. And I have a lot of admiration for President Trump. I thought he did a great job. I campaigned for him and with him in 2016 and in 2020, and will do so again in 2024 if he asks me. But as to your question, I have a, real, a couple of real simple points to make to show you how bogus this whole thing is. The uh, indictment is 45 pages. I read it uh, very, very thoroughly. And in that 45-page indictment, Rich, over and over again, Vice President Pence is praised by Jack Smith for resisting the pressure that Donald Trump put on him, both in meetings and publicly, uh, to not certify the election in certain states. Uh, he comes across by President Pence as almost like a superhero, according to Jack Smith. Well, just a few weeks ago, Vice President Pence is on CNN, and he says, Donald Trump and I will never see eye to eye 
and I believe that Trump acted recklessly. However, I don't see anything that Donald Trump did that suggests to me that he committed a crime. Now, Jack Smith did not put that part in there. He praised right. uh, uh, Pence for resisting the pressure, but never mentioned that Pence, having resist, resisted the pressure, does not believe the pressure was illegal. The second thing is this. Uh, another John named John Eastman is the co-conspirator. He is a, a lawyer of Donald Trump, a friend of mine. I've known him for years, former dean of a law school here in California called Chapman yeah. School of Law. He made a, a legal theory under the Electoral Count Act, the act that's been on the books since 1880 that governs how these elections are certified, been on the books for 140 years. He made the argument that the law allowed the vice president the power to refuse to accept electors in certain states. Well, in December of last year, Congress amended the law to, quote, clarify it, close quote, so that the vice president does not have that kind of power that Trump lawyers argued that it did. Well, if the legal theory is fallacious, if it's out of whole cloth, why do you need to change the law so that nobody makes the argument right. down the road unless the law was ambiguous enough that John Eastman was able to make that theory? 100%. And I, 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 I'm familiar with John Eastman, and he is, he's a brilliant jurist. Uh, so let's let's um, take it step by step here. So uh, it seems to me like and, and this is, again, um, a paraphrase of Mr. Loro's statements. And I agree that there seems to be an attempt to criminalize political speech. If this, in fact, becomes the case, saying, look, you know, the things that you said caused this to happen. And because your words, your free speech in this political realm uh, cause these things to happen, we're going to put you in jail, right? Not give you a fine. They want to put him in jail. Uh, is right. that, in effect, not criminalizing the First Amendment of the Constitution? Well, with one proviso, uh, it's speech if you are a conservative. Because Hillary, <laughs> for four years, right. when President Trump was president, referred to him as illegitimate, said illegitimate the election president. was stolen. Jimmy, mm -hmm. Jimmy Carter claimed that the Russians put him there. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries, who took over from Nancy Pelosi, uh, made the same claim that Donald Trump was illegitimate. Kamala Harris called him illegitimate. Uh, and Jay Johnson, Obama's DHS secretary, testified under oath, Rich, that the Russians tried but failed to change a single vote tally in 2016. Yet two-thirds of Democrats, according to a major poll, believe the Russians changed vote tallies to elect Donald Trump. In other words, a greater percentage of of Democrats believe 2016 was, to use their favorite word, stolen, and we feel that way about 2020. Yet nobody accused Hillary Clinton or Jimmy Carter or many of the other people that refer to Donald Trump as illegitimate uh, as having anything other than a First Amendment right to, to complain uh, and, uh, and, to then, and to then say that they thought the election was stolen. But now all of a sudden we say it, uh, and all of a sudden we're criminals. And in 2004, Benny Thompson, the chair of the January 6th uh, so-called Insurrection Committee, joined 30 other uh, House members, plus Senator Barbara Boxer, to decertify the election in Ohio, claiming without any evidence that the Debold voting machines had been manipulated. Once again, they challenged the electors. Nobody said anything. Uh, several electors were challenged in 2016 by Democrats. Nobody accused them of undermining our republic. Nobody said they ought to go to jail for making that kind of argument. It's so incredibly unfair. It's a double standard, Rich. It's a two-tiered system of justice, and that's why so many of us are angry. Well put, Larry Elder. Uh, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, remind everybody how they can donate, what they've got to do, and when they should do it. They should do it right now. Go to my website, LarryElder.com, and you can donate as little as $1 and tell 40,000 of your friends to do so, too. Again, even if you want somebody else, 
if I can get up there and talk about the issues that Rich and I have been talking about, I think the country will be well served, and that is why I'm doing this. Amen. Godspeed to you, Larry Elder. I wish you the best. I think you're doing a fantastic job. Keep up the good work, and uh, we'll definitely uh, have you back on when you have the time. And thanks for being generous with your time tonight. My pleasure, Rich. Anytime. You know where to find me. All right, folks, we're about to wrap this thing up, so don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. Oh, he's so handsome. What's his name? Rich Valdez. Amazing conversation with Larry Elder, and those issues are incredibly important for the United States, for us as a a people. And this is why I want to remind everybody to uh, listen to these podcasts, not only because I'm doing them and uh, this is how I make my living, that's, that is, uh, of course, uh, important, but also because I think this is information that you can share with other people where you can um, help them be informed patriots like Ronald Reagan called us to be. And, and speaking of this information, I want to remind you quickly that we've been nominated for the Pe- People's Choice Podcast Award Um grateful for the nomination and it's for the radio shows podcast which is america at night which uh you can find on their website let me give you that address it's podcastawards.com. that's plural podcastawards.com. and you go there put my name in first you there's like a little blue box in the middle of the screen you uh click on that to vote you actually have to register your email so that you can vote and I would appreciate it if you did that so you could vote for the show. And once you do that, you put my name in there, Rich Valdez. Of course, that's with an S at the end. And then you scroll down because they're nominating us for our coverage of government and organizations. So scroll to where it says government and organizations, and then there's a little drop-down menu. You'll be able to pull up Rich Valdez, America at Night. Click on that, hit Submit, and that's it. You're registered to vote. When the voting is open right now in August they will go ahead and email you so that you can vote for the show. So make sure you register your email at podcastawards.com, podcastawards.com. Of course, if you want to support Larry Elder's campaign, go to larryelder.com. And I would love to see him get on the debate stage so that we could see him, you know, discuss these issues with his fellow candidates and bring that to the table, right? It's not about endorsing him or endorsing someone else. It's, uh, moreover, important to me to see that we have all of these candidates talking about the most important issues of the day. And this is why we do this show. That's why I started doing this podcast, This Is America, because I felt it was important for people to know what was going on in America from every aspect. You know, whether it was news analysis, whether it was, you know, um, bringing you up to speed on the issues that are affecting elections, you name it, I wanted to talk about it so that you could stand up. Because if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to sit there and do nothing. So stand up and, and be heard and be strong because America needs you more now than she's ever needed you before. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, I am Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America.
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market. Rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.